All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I've got doctoral candidate Jennifer Warren and Josh Woodall and John Seco. All of them have experience with caring for deaf athletes. I have none. But reading through the show notes and preparing for this episode, I was working a weekend volleyball tournament, and there was a referee that was that was deaf or hard of hearing. Um, and he, I know that he signed water when he was asking for if he could get some water. And, you know, I learned that from, uh, reading one of the baby books that we just bought, but also one of the notes that Jen wrote was look at the person or, or don't like slow your speech. And so whenever he asked a question, like I answered looking at him in a normal speech pattern, I'm excited because I've already learned and used something within, you know, before we even started the podcast. So I think it's going to be great. So Jennifer directs and leads the uh, special services or the student, the student special services at Midland ISD. Josh has firsthand experience working with the athletes and John Seco's fiance just wrote a book on American Sign Language and uh, for his county. So they've got plenty of experience between the three of them and I just get to, to learn. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash deaf athletes, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash deaf athletes, where you can find all the links because there's a lot of resources they put in there, where you can find the contact information and some of the questions or you know ways that we, they've answered the questions and the notes. So again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash deaf athletes. Again, John's fiance just wrote a book on American Sign Language. Jennifer is working on our doc- doctoral degree. And she's published some articles here, of course, Scanner Regional uh, Day School Program for the Deaf. All right, let's get right to it. Number one tip. So people like to save the best tip for the end. But for number one tip, Miss Jennifer Warren, what have you got for us? I would, I'm so great, grateful that I was able to share the one tip in our notes and you were already able to put that into practice. So it verifies with me that it is the number one tip that we should share. And it is that uh, we just speak naturally to those who are deaf or hard of hearing. Uh, Many can read lips, uh, but if we try to accentuate our our words or talk louder for them, then it distorts our mouths and it can make it more difficult for them to read our lips. And then if I could add a second tip uh, most people in the deaf and hard of hearing community really do appreciate any sign that you may know. So if that's finger spelling or simple words, it is accepted and appreciated when you use the simple signs that you may know. So those would be the two tips that I would share with you today. So one of the that referee that I was referencing, he had, I guess, an app on his phone or something like that. So he basically typed in and it was like large letters. So, you know, it's not like he had to text something into a normal text messaging box, but it was large letters so that he could show me, hey, do you have an extra chair? And then later when he walked back, that's what it was, is I was like, hey, did you find a chair? And he said, like, he was good or no, he didn't find one or something like that. Um, But yeah, so that was really cool just to be able to put those pieces together. So speak natural and then I know John said facing, facing them. Um, and then one of the things that I want to kind of get to before we get much further in this podcast is the terminology, right? So she's already given us those. And I, and I think in one of the Facebook pay, posts, I said hard of hearing. One of them I said hearing impaired. One of them I said deaf. So let's clear that up as before we go much further. What should I be saying? And then in, 
Yeah. So what should I be saying? Of course. So a uh, recent legislature has recognized uh, the most appropriate terminology and it comes directly from the deaf community and what they prefer. So auditory impairment and hearing impaired is now replaced with deaf and hard of hearing. So watching um, the legislature accept what the deaf community is wanting to be recognized as uh, is an important step because many times we see that people groups uh, have a cultural uh, piece to their community, but it, when it's recognized by the law and we can then push it out through our school systems and government and such, it's a really big thing. So uh, to honor that community and that people group with what they wish to, to be considered as, that would be deaf and hard of hearing. And to add a little bit of context to that, um, many deaf and hard of hearing people do not see themselves as a people group with a disability. It's just a different need or a different mode of communication because it's not a cognitive disability. So as we move forward, we move away from the language that gives the connotation that it's an impairment or a disability or something that needs to be uh, mitigated for as far as a disability goes. Seems strange that like hearing impairment which sounds more professional, but now they're going to go, yeah, he's just hard of hearing. Well, that's just that, that old guy, you know, that thing. So it just seems, seems like, uh, that's like less respectful, but it's actually, you're removing the, oh, he's impaired. Oh, he's disabled. No, just they communicate in a different language. It's like somebody speaking Spanish is speaking a different language, right? So I gotta learn to communicate with those. Yeah. Josh and I actually had that conversation, uh, where we talked about, deaf and hard of hearing those terminology uh, or that terminology being a little harsh. We feel like, oh, if we call somebody deaf, that sounds like a very harsh way to describe someone, but it's actually what's preferred and accepted. So that's a conversation that Josh and I have had uh, just recently talking about the terminology. All right, John, what you got? I, I think she hit it right on the head. Um, you know when we're talking about it, you know, first, I think we need to be incredibly sensitive and, and aware of there's four of us here that are, are hearing individuals speaking about deaf culture. Um, you know, so I, I do want to, you know, put that out there. Um, you know, so this is just our take on things, uh, especially as athletic trainers, as healthcare professionals, uh, and how this, this helps us. Um, but there is a, a full culture that is attached to the deaf and hard of hearing world. Um, and that's something that I've learned a lot over the last year uh, and, and how that culture is weaved into uh, a language, a, a different world language that's, um, that we are able to use to communicate with our athletes. So um, there is a lot to learn uh, here uh, that we'll, we'll definitely try to cover over the next hour um, in our discussion. All right. So, Jennifer, let me ask you, what got you into the kind of leading the the deaf education or the, the sign language that leading that part, what, what moved you, what personal experience, that kind of thing? Oh, it's just a, a phenomenal circle of life. Really. Uh, when I was in elementary school and middle school, I played little dribblers and I had a teammate that was uh, deaf and she used sign language to communicate and she did not go to school with us. She went to the regional day school program for the deaf in Corsicana, which was a neighboring school district. And uh, I was intrigued. So um, I have a twin sister, Jamie Woodall, which uh, is a 
big name in athletic training, and I'm very proud to call her my sister. And uh, she and I both decided uh, that we wanted to learn sign language so that we could access communication with our teammate. Well, my mother, as great and strong of a woman as she is, she reached out and found that there were community classes that were offered uh, by one of the teachers of the Regional Day School Program for the Deaf in Corsicana. So we attended those free sign language classes and we did that for several years and we brought friends with us and it became a, almost a secret language between the hearing community uh, and our friends that went to these classes with us and it built some great memories. But what it really did was it fostered a sense of uh, excitement and a need to learn more. So in college, I went to Texas A&M University and uh, Blinn College offered sign language as a foreign language and A&M accepted it. So did four semesters at Blinn College learning sign language, American sign language. And um, now to preface that with, um, the classes that I used in middle school and elementary school that was sound exact English. So my base knowledge in sign language is actually sound exact English where you would sign each and every word very exact to the way that you speak. But then in college I learned American sign language which has a little bit of a different grammar and syntax to it. And uh, so as I have become an educator, I was a teacher for 10 years and I taught sign language in uh, each of the classes that I taught uh, as a supplemental piece of learning to, to the classroom. And it was always a great way for us to be able to communicate across the cafeteria to our students or across the classroom. When I moved into administration, just by chance, I had moved back to uh, the Central East Texas area and I became an assistant principal in Corsicana uh, or at Corsicana ISD. And even it was after I was hired, I noticed uh, some signage on the wall that had sign language. And I said, do, do we have students here who are deaf? And he said, oh yeah, we're the regional day school program for the deaf. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have just amazing connection to the RDSPD or regional day school program for the deaf here in Corsicana. So uh, as I spent five years in Corsicana, uh, I became the director of the RDSPD and uh, fostered the learning of the community with sign language classes for them to learn as well. And so it really became full circle where I took the passion from a childhood uh, and curiosity and wanting to learn more about the student that I played basketball with and made it into a career. So now I'm at Midland ISD and I am the executive director of student services. So that means for special services. And that means that I am able to not only work with students who are deaf and hard of hearing, but other disabilities or at risk populations. Okay, so I know I'm gonna sound very ignorant here, but you talked about when you need to learn Spanish because of your population, but then you just mentioned there is exact word sign language and American sign language. So is there Spanish sign language and, you know, like that kind yes. of thing? Yes. Okay. Yes. And without chasing too many rabbits, I have definitely found myself in a situation where I thought I was walking into a situation to sign in English, either American Sign Language or C, which is signed exactly in English. And uh, the person I was signing with actually signed in Spanish and uh, threw me for a little bit of a loop, but we figured it out. So. Okay, so tell me a little bit more right there. So in that situation, do you continue signing or do you switch to something like a text app like that guy had, you know, and then you can use Google Translate type thing? 
Sure. So in that moment, it was before smartphones. Uh, I was coming back from Colorado and snowed in at Eagle Pass and uh, cell phones weren't really a useful thing at that time because they weren't our smartphones that we have today. So what we actually ended up doing was I spoke in English um, and uh, we found a, a verbal translator who was able to write the words in Spanish and then the family that I was speaking with signed to each other what they needed to and then wrote in Spanish on a piece of paper and then my translators translated verbally in English to me and then I spoke in English to those that I needed to speak with and so uh, it was a little bit more old school than being able to Google Translate at that time. So I know in the show notes you talked about using the translator and never saying hey tell the translator this. Right, so John tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah when working with a, an interpreter I think when I first started working with deaf students uh you get used to the interpreter being right in the room and then you wanted to if you're if you're not educated in the subject if you're not educated in the topic uh you'll turn and actually start speaking to the interpreter when in actuality you're speaking to the deaf individual you should never do that and you should never say tell them this uh, because you're you in having a conversation with the person who is deaf um, not the person who's the interpreter. So they're there to assist you with communication, not relay messages there. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, it's all, it's like in Zoom where, where if, you know, I'm talking like this, if I'm looking off to the side of the camera while I'm sitting here talking to you guys, it, it just, it's really weird and uncomfortable. So, it, you know, maybe the Zoom culture now can, understand a little bit just a little bit of the deaf culture and the need for the eye-to-eye -eye contact when communicating so all right mr woodall let's talk a little bit about your experience with working with deaf athletes yeah for sure so uh uh you know i was uh very i've been very fortunate to work with with many deaf or hard of hearing athletes uh throughout the course of my career and i actually uh, uh jumped into it unknowingly uh, when I started working in Bryan 19 years ago. Um, I didn't realize at the time, but uh, Bryan ISD is actually a part of 31 uh, local school districts that are part of the uh, Brazos Valley uh, Regional Day School Program for the Deaf. And uh, for schools uh, within that 31 school district community that don't have um, services or all the services that are necessary or needed for uh, some of these students, they attend uh, one of the schools in Bryan ISD that are um, that are equipped for that. Bryan High School uh, is the high school campus uh, within Bryan that uh, that does this. So uh, over the years, I've had uh, football players, wrestlers, uh, soccer, softball, baseball, you know, uh, athletes from, from many different sports that are either deaf or hard of hearing. And uh, uh, my very first year as a, uh, as a professional and as the assistant athletic trainer here in Bryan, uh, we had a a football player that had a knee injury and and came into the athletic training room and and uh, this individual was deaf and and um, I had never uh, worked with a deaf athlete before but um, fortunately uh, through Jamie and Jennifer I, um, I knew a, a little bit uh, I knew enough to not be disrespectful <laughs> and so that was uh, that was quite helpful and and uh, you know just like everything that we've uh, talked about thus far it's um, uh, you know important to understand that and communicate directly with the individual and not not through their interpreter. I've been uh, uh, very fortunate for for the most part, whenever I've worked with a deaf athlete, they've had an interpreter with them because uh, here at the school, they the, their interpreters attend practices, games, 
you know, all of that uh, stuff. But but occasionally, uh, you know, on a, a day when we have Saturday treatments, the interpreter may not be here. And, and in those situations, I've been able to uh, communicate with um, uh, with my athletes uh, via some of the information that, that Jennifer's been kind enough to share. And, and uh, Jamie and Jennifer have both taught me some uh, uh, basic sign language I can finger spell and do some things like that and and uh, so that helps as well so um, but you know it's it's been a uh, been it been quite a journey and and, uh, and and an exciting one at that I've learned a lot and learned uh, a, a new culture and and new language and and it's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun if if I'm speaking Spanish or if I'm listening Spanish I want people to slow down and speak to me is there is there some way to to do that like say hey slow down the signing or like is it is it rude to say hey can you spell it out type it out on a phone like what are some of the things that because I'm thinking of how I like when my students are speaking Spanish I'm like hey despacio 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 like slow down slow down slow down like I just I can speak it pretty well I just can't understand it pretty well so how can I do that like Josh said you know he's had to finger spell what are some of the things that I could do that's something even I have to do uh, knowing sign language, but it is not my first language. So I'm not a certified interpreter. I just know uh, sign language enough to speak conversationally. And when I, my receptive language is not as good as my expressive language, which means I can sign because I know what signs I'm going to use. I know what signs I'm comfortable with. But then when I am signing with someone who is signing back at me, I really have to concentrate and pay attention to each individual sign sometimes to pay attention because I'm not used to some of the, um, almost the dialect or the style of sign that's being used. So it is not rude, first of all, to ask for someone to either slow down or to repeat or say again. And uh, I, I do that all the time. Uh, and even whenever I get to a sign that I'm struggling to remember the sign. And so I have to spell it out. Usually the signer that you are communicating with is kind enough to show you what that sign is. So you don't have to keep spelling it out. Um, but you can imagine in the moment, new learning on top of trying to comprehend what someone is saying. Sometimes that sign doesn't stick the first time. So they'll very kindly repeat the sign for you over and over again, if you end up having to spell it uh, multiple times. and that is something that is part of the deaf culture that it's accepted for um, and appreciated as I was saying earlier any sign is is appreciated that you can provide in a conversation but with that comes the patience uh, of knowing that you're probably not a proficient signer if you're finger spelling or needing to take the time to ask the signer to slow down as you're communicating with each other is highly appropriate um, and I know you guys can see me right now, but, you know, just slow and, and moving your arm, uh, your hand up your arm is the sign for slow. So slow signing <laughs> and just being able to, to say that and to, to show your hand, telling the signer to slow down just a little bit. And um, one other thing to know about sign language, it's very expressive. So your face tells more of the story of what you're trying to say in your facial expressions than your actual signs. 
And so the person you're communicating with is probably reading your face anyway and recognizing that you're kind of lost in the conversation or that they need to slow down. So they take the social cues very, very well and, and use them in, in communication with you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I do that, like I said, with Spanish. Like I'll say, hey, how do you say this? Or what's the word for this? You know, and most of the time when I'm asking that, it's kids that speak both languages. So I'm just making sure that, the, you know, as we were talking about political correctness and using the correct terminology, I want to make sure that I'm doing my best not to offend. All right, Seiko, your experience. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, I was going to say that deaf individuals tend to be a little bit more forgiving when you are signing with them. Uh, my sign language is is next to nothing, so I do a lot of finger spelling, and uh, I know the, you know the sign for hurt and you know please and thank you. Um, but I am very slow with my signs, and and the kids tend to be really really good with it back to me. Uh, so they'll slow their signing down, uh, but they they take that. And they are incredibly appreciative in the fact that we are trying to communicate with them. It'd be the same with any other culture, you know, taking the time to learn a different language and and trying to communicate means the world to a lot of people. So, uh, and then the expressive uh, facial, um, you know, part of the, the language is, is funny because I've been told I have an expressive face. Uh, So my fiance told me uh, there's a picture of us when we got engaged. Um, It's, it's a picture of me and I'm holding the ring and my eyebrows are up and uh, she just giggled and she said, see, this is, uh, is, is an expressive part of your language. It's, it's indicating a yes or no question. So it's, uh, will you marry me? Yes or no, <laughs> with my eyebrows up. Um, so that was uh, fun to, to see that in just kind of our everyday life. All right, so Josh shared some of his experience working with athletes. What is your experience working with athletes uh, and having to use sign language, John. Yes, John. What what is your experience working with athletes? Um, yeah, so you know, similar to Josh, um, we have we house we're the center, we're a center based program for our county, so uh, we'll have athletes coming from close to an hour away to work with us. Um, but we've had athletes in every every sport almost. Um, you know, just because they're deaf doesn't mean that their physical abilities are hindered at all. Um, you know, they've been great athletes to work with. Um, you know, I, I couldn't say that there's anything uh, less or more. Uh, it is fun to, to work with somebody that speaks a different language. It's the same as, uh, you know, when we have um, transfer students come in from Europe or from Mexico, you know, it's, it's a, just another language to work with. Um, you know, for me, I have now a personal connection uh, with them. So, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a book that sits on my desk um, that I try to read every once in a while that was written by somebody very, you know, near and dear to my heart. So um, it is a, an important part of my life that I try to communicate with these individuals, um, you know, not just because of that personal connection, but uh, because I, I'm a healthcare professional and I need to learn how to communicate with different individuals of different abilities. All right. One of the questions that I know we'll get um, is people that have like diabetes that have the arm pump thing. How do you care for that? So it's similar, like with the cochlear implants and things like that. How do we help those athletes take care of um, those hearing aids hearing uh, or, or those devices so that you know, they can be more successful in school and in on the field. So I, 
I can definitely add to that. Just knowing what the devices are uh, is a huge step. The terminology and then knowing uh, what those devices are used for is huge. So uh, you have FM systems, cochlear implants, hearing aids, Bajas, which are bone anchored hearing aids. Uh, there are multiple uh, devices that can be used for students to access auditory sounds. And um, so one thing that was uh, mentioned earlier in the notes was that uh, many times the, the sounds that students will hear with these devices are not going to be the same sounds that you and I hear. And so I know John can speak a little bit more on that because I think that was in his notes, but it's a sound simulation in some ways for some of our students. Uh, but those that have some residual uh, hearing that can be amplified may use an FM system. And that is where you uh, put a microphone on the coach or the athletic trainer, and it is Bluetoothed to the student's uh, hearing aid or cochlear implant, and it puts the sound directly into their ear or into their device, into their ear. And uh, those are very popular in the classroom. In fact, um, access for some usually means an impact, a positive impact for access for all. So uh, here at Midland ISD, uh, several of our elementary classrooms are equipped with a sound field just simply so the teacher doesn't have to use what we call the teacher voice, which is louder. And so it, it saves the teacher's voice just a little, but they may be using it just simply to save their voice, not necessarily because they have a student who is deaf or hard of hearing in their classroom. Then there are the hearing aids themselves, and then we also have the cochlear implant, which the cochlear implant is surgically implanted. There's an external piece and an internal piece uh, into uh, the hearing uh, portions of the brain so that it can uh, capture the sound waves and simulate that sound in the student's ear. So you can imagine that uh, these devices are highly specialized. So that usually means there's a price tag on them. So students are taught to take care of their devices and uh, typically do not play sports wearing them. Uh, so even if there's a helmet to protect the, the ears and the head, uh, you may find that the student athletes will take those devices off. And so I know Josh can probably speak on this a little bit more because of his experience, but um, just with the experiences that I have with students, most of the time by they reach the second secondary level, they know how to care for their devices on their own. But just in case, it may just uh, be a great piece of education for athletic trainers and coaches to know that they have these devices, they may need a safe place to store those, and uh, the that that is something that can be offered to those students if, if you see that they're going into a backpack or a locker or those types of things. But I know Josh and I talked about that and he wasn't, uh, I don't think much experience with the FM system uh, and that's more of a classroom uh, device, but I, I think there's some experience with some of those other devices. Yeah, that was definitely something that, you know, um, we, we talked about some and I've had uh, over the years several athletes that have had uh, various types of hearing aids uh, that that have uh, been there to assist them. But uh, but like Jennifer was saying, uh, none of the athletes that I've worked with have used those during participation for the the fear of, of them becoming damaged or or uh, otherwise causing a, an issue. So um, the most experience I've had with it is is helping them to uh, to store it and protect it during a game. And, uh, you know, they'll sometimes they'll take it out, put it in a case and I'll hold on to that to, you know, for them until after the game is over with or if they need it 
you know, later on, um, you know, when they're on the sideline or in the dugout or something like that. But uh, um, in my experience, most of the athletes have not um, used those devices during participation. I don't know if John has had any, any different experience with that, but um, that's what I've seen a lot. Yeah, very, very similar for me too. If I add to that, um, if you have not had experiences with an FM system and you do have a student that comes into the locker room or the field and, and that's a device that um, is utilized, just a word of caution, when that mic is live, that student can hear any conversation or audible sounds <laughs> that you may have around you while the mic is live and it's connected uh, to the student's Bluetooth. So uh, those private conversations between coaches, you wanna make sure that mic has been turned off. If you do uh, something private as in going to the restroom or uh, any other thing that you would not necessarily want students listening to, you wanna be sure you turn that live mic off so that they're not uh, having access to that sound all right so so maybe I, I missed something but what i'm hearing is is the deaf or hard of hearing students that have devices typically don't wear them during games and so how how do you deal with that on the field dealing with an on-field injury or how do you help the um the coach you know they they have to coach up that player and say hey do this or that how do what do they do there is it just they sign they just say you know the the deaf athletes follow you know they just follow the pattern they know what things are how does that work so in 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 my experience there's been a couple of different uh, uh things like i said before we've uh, our, our athletes have been very fortunate to have their interpreters with them uh, uh, during games practices those kinds of things so uh during a game uh, whenever a play is called in, the interpreter on the sideline is next to that individual's coach. They call the play, the interpreter signs it in, and the athlete knows, you know, what the what the play is. Um, you know, in sports like baseball and softball, uh, it's all about using signs uh, anyway. So, so they're familiar with the signs. They know that, and they they know what they're supposed to be doing when they're uh, at bat or on the base or you know whatever it is. So, um, so the communication is natural uh, in that regard, um, but. Um, and then also reading lips, you know, the, uh, the athletes, uh, you know, are, are also very good at that. And so when the coach is talking to them on the bench, you know, the interpreter may be there signing, but they're also able to uh, pay attention to what the coach is telling them. Uh, same thing with dealing with injuries. Um, you know, I've, I've had uh, the interpreters there with us that, that have been able to communicate that, or I can, uh, you know, talk with the athlete and, and they can, you know, understand and, and communicate back what, uh, what it is that, that they're needing. So uh, that hadn't been a big issue, but uh, one, uh, one situation that, that comes to my mind uh, that, that uh, was somewhat problematic. Uh, one time we had a, a football player that uh, had a forearm fracture during a game. Uh, he was a deaf athlete and, and uh, it was actually a, a pretty significant uh, fracture. He fractured both ulna and radius and convoluted fracture. Um, so he was in a great deal of, of uh, pain on the field and uh, closed his eyes. Uh, and so his interpreter couldn't communicate with him. We couldn't communicate with him. Uh, and so we had, to, we had to give him a minute to collect himself and then tap his helmet so that he, uh, you know, opened his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, we could then communicate with him and, and, and work with him. But, uh, you know, that was a unique situation where uh, we, we did have to improvise a little bit to get his attention because just talking to him, 
uh, he couldn't hear us and, and he couldn't, uh, couldn't see a sign interpreter. So, um, that was, uh, that was an experience that was a little bit, uh, a little bit different, but, uh, but we, we worked through that and, and got him taken care of and he came back and, and, uh, continued to play the next year. So, uh, you know, all was, all was well with him, but, um, you know, there's, there's things that, you know, may jump out and surprise you sometime. So going to that forearm fracture, is there a right-handed and left-handed dominant signing? And then what do you do with that kid that can't now can't move his hand? Like, how, I guess that's just for the interpreter to kind of figure out and tell you, like, how did that work out? You know, um, well, in, in, in that situation, it was very difficult for him to, because uh, a lot of times the signs involve both hands. And so, uh, um, you know, he had to spell some things or, or do things a little bit differently uh, in order to communicate initially. Um, and then, of course, as, as the healing process went on, he was able to, to return that to normal. But, uh, but he did have to adapt, uh, you know, his signing a little for, for a while, even post-surgically. He was, um, you know, in a cast and not able to, uh, you know, use his uh, uh, sign language as he normally would. But, uh, but, but they were able to adapt that pretty uh, successfully. So wasn't, wasn't, uh, overall, wasn't a big, big issue. All right, Jennifer. So we're dealing with an athlete that, you know, is in pain that doesn't want to open their eyes. What, what else would you recommend? What else can we do? You know, assuming that we have an interpreter there, how can we help that situation? Well, I think uh, doing some proactive measures will help uh, as well. So John put something in the chat that I want to make sure that we talk about because Josh and I actually had a prior conversation about this very thing. And it's talking to the referees or the umpires before a sport, sporting event to alert them that we do have a student or students who are deaf or hard of hearing. And that can mitigate several conflicts, even not even just injuries, but if there's a whistle blowing and the student continues to play, they didn't hear that whistle blow. And unless they hear, or I'm sorry, if they see the interpreter alerting them, or if they are watching their peers and using social cues to understand that maybe a whistle has been blown and play has stopped. Uh, if, they, if they haven't caught on to that social cue right away, the referee or the umpire may see that as a, a sign of disrespect that they've continued to play. But having that knowledge beforehand can be very helpful in knowing that that student is deaf or hard of hearing and that communication uh, was blocked for them at that moment. Uh, but in uh, in this, I'll bring us back to that original question. But I, I can't move forward without saying that we also have to remember that uh, because this is a confidential student record that we're sharing with umpires and, and referees, that there is a, or even the coaches on the other team, it is an educational need to know for these uh, staff members and sporting officials to know that the child has a disability. But it's also uh, understood that we need to make sure they understand that's confidential information that doesn't need to be shared. So then taking that student's name and identifying that they are deaf or hard of hearing and then sharing that information out beyond the group of the educational need to know um, members of the community would be a break in the confidentiality of the student record. So that's something to consider as as you have those conversations. So the original question was, what else can we do for these students who have an injury and may close their eyes and lose access to communication? And, um, and I said, you take some proactive measures. So you talk to the sporting officials, you talk to the other coach, you make sure your teammates understand um, that if 
they are wanting to communicate with the student that they need to make sure that they're facing that student so they can see, read the social cues, read the lips and possibly see any basic signs that may be uh, shared between them. And then also, as the injury has happened, the athletic trainer, just knowing some basic signs like Josh has said, can move forward in a lot of ways. So that student, giving them the moment to just uh, release out their energy of pain, uh, that's something that would be typical of, of many students if they just need a minute to collect themselves. And so then you say, okay, kiddo, it's time to get going again. And you would do that for any student. So when they're, they've regained themselves to the degree that you can communicate with them, having that interpreter there, knowing your basic signs, and then building that trust with the student beforehand, knowing that they are in safe hands, that you've built that relationship with them uh, out, off of the field uh, in the athletic training room or out on the field uh, during practice would take some huge steps forward. So if you see that there is a student who's deaf and hard of hearing, then you wanna make sure you've taken those steps to build that relationship with them, just like you would with any other student. Okay, so I want you to explain this to me like I'm five. <clears throat> Who can or should I tell at a football game if I have a, say, a, a deaf athlete? I would definitely speak with the sporting officials, uh, possibly any coaches that are on the field that have not normally worked with that student on the home team, and then uh, the, the other team, making sure that head coach knows as well so that they don't see any behavior as a sign of disrespect if they continue to play after the play is called and such that they understand that. So those are the, the main ones that I would make sure uh, understand that you have a student on your team that's deaf or hard of hearing. All right. And I know both you guys are big fans of the medical timeout. Is that something that would need to be addressed with EMS or only if an injury occurred? I'm going to let Josh take this one. Uh, that's, I would say the more medical professionals that understand the student population that's playing, the better, but I'm going to have to defer to Josh on that one. You know, that, that's, uh, that's a great question. And uh, it's, it's not something that we've typically done in the past. We haven't, you know, gone to the EMS and identified that, you know, this individual here has a, you know, is, is deaf or hard of hearing. Um, but, uh, and, the reason being is that if, if we're activating EMS, one of our athlete, you know, one of our athletic trainers is going to be there, or one of the coaches that that are aware of that, you know, child situation, and we'll inform them at that point, you know, that uh, that that was the case. Um, so that's not something that we've um, historically done. That said, you know, do I think it's a bad idea? No, not necessarily, because if you know, uh, you know, if you're thinking about a situation where maybe you have multiple injuries at the same time, and EMS is assisting with something, and they happen to be helping that student, and you're not immediately available to tell them, then, you know, it's good to have that knowledge up front. So um, I don't, I don't think that would be a bad idea. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, in, in our, my past, um, I found that the, the media loves a good story of a deaf student athlete participating in sports. Um, so we recently had a student, uh, he graduated uh, last year um, and within that football year, I think we had four different news stations out to do stories on him. Uh, so everybody got to know him. Uh, our, our staff all got to know him, obviously working with him. Uh, but then our, our team physicians and, and the community around knew who he was and uh, was able to identify 
<clears throat> that's probably not going to be the case with everybody else. So like Josh said, it, it's probably not a bad idea to bring that up. Um, but, you know, we, we do communicate with the referees at least uh, prior to game if we have a deaf individual uh, or an individual who is hard of hearing, um, you know, so that it goes back to Jennifer's point of, uh, you know, the disrespect that may be seen in the referee or, or to help them along as well. Because if the ref's there and they can wave a hand and, you know, a, a tap on the shoulder or anything, that could help the student uh, too. But, um, you know, just getting to getting the most people aware of the situation helps. Uh, you don't always have to identify certain th things. Um, but, you know, the reasons we're doing the medical timeout is, is to communicate. Um, so, you know, what, if we can add that in there, if it's pertinent, then we'll add it in there. Um, but, you know, you definitely don't want a medical timeout that goes into the actually halftime. So it's uh, how much stuff you want to provide. All right. So you said tell uh, communicate with the other coach. Are you are you essentially just telling the other like one coach on the other team? Or are you trying to make sure every coach knows? Because I would think that you would just want one person to know and then they could communicate with their staff as needed. That's, yeah, that, that's been my experience is, you know, typically we'll, we'll notify the head coach from the other team and then let them communicate with the position coaches that, that are, you know, need to know or, you know, and, and, and again, that it's a, from our perspective, a safety, uh, safety concern. If the athlete, you know, if you've got an offensive lineman that's, you know, deaf and, and, uh, and he's going up against a defensive lineman and continues to block after the play is over, you don't want that individual to think that, you know, this kid's just a jerk and, you know, and then all of a sudden you have a, you know, have a fight on the field or something, you know, because they just weren't aware that this kid couldn't hear, you know, the whistle blow and didn't know the play was over. And, uh, and so, um, you know, so we've, uh, we, we've communicated in that, that regard, but, you know, we're not necessarily telling, you know, every coach on the other team, but just notifying that head coach so that he can, you know, um, uh, let the position coach know and, and they're aware of that can help mitigate some of those potential concerns. Right, and as Again, this is just ignorance. Have you ever seen a situation to where a opponent has used that deafness saying like, hey, play stopped and then, you know, basically like cheating, like, hey, play stopped and then continued on? Have you ever experienced a situation like that? Personally, I've never seen that. Um, you know, I, I, I had the thought as I was talking about that, that that would certainly be a possibility or a concern, you know, but uh, – but I've not uh, personally experienced it where somebody has used that to, uh, to, you know, have an added advantage in a game. And, and um, you know, but to that point, you know, our, um, you know, our coaches coach the, you know, deaf athletes the same way they do anybody else. And you play until you, until the play's over. And so until they see, you know, their teammates stopping or until they, you know, until the official, you know, taps them and lets them know that the play's over, they continue to play. And so, um, uh, haven't, hasn't been a problem in my experience. Well, and I certainly cannot let this conversation pass without plugging in the uh, origin of the football huddle. And that was uh, originated at uh, our deaf university, uh, Gallaudet. And it was back in, I believe, 1894 that uh, the quarterback did not want the other team to steal their signs that they were using as deaf athletes. So they uh, originated the huddle where they came together and they signed in the huddle so that that communication could not be shared to the other team. So that do believe that is a old age concern that those signs would be uh, in, intercepted by the other team. I think we see that in the hearing community as well when you're uh, when you have baseball signs for the pitcher and 
and the other team possibly intercepting those signs. So I think this is something that is uh, seen in the hearing community and in the deaf and hard of hearing community. But I do think that it's interesting that the huddle has its origin in the uh, Gallaudet University as a way to mitigate those uh, interception of signs. So the huddle, like football originally didn't have a huddle, but that was something that the deaf community invented to, huh, I would have never known that. Yes, it's an interesting fun fact. So stick that in your back pocket and pull it out at the next social gathering and you'll be the most interesting person in the room. For about two seconds. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, so let's talk more about the the law right here. Y'all put Section 504 and, and the ADA requirement re require reasonable accommodations. Uh, and we talked about the don't speak slower, make sure you face them. What other legal things uh, do we need to consider when caring for deaf or hard of hearing athletes? Well, on the uh, Section 504 side, that's going to be your accommodations. And in IDEA, that's uh, your special education needs that modify um, content for students to have access to what genetic students who are not disabled. So between the two protections under Section 504 and IDEA, which is special education, we have to remember that all students are gen ed students first. So all students have access to participate in tryouts and um, whether that is for theater or if it's a sporting event or any other extracurricular activity, um, those students should have access to try out for any sporting event. And with minimal accommodations and not taking away from the competitive nature of the event, uh, students should be able to make the team if they have uh, fit the standard that any other student would have to meet to make the team. Uh, when you start talking about accommodations and those are your hearing devices and access to a level playing field, uh, as long as you're not changing the competitive nature of the event, those students should have the complete access to try out and participate. Um, if we are having, let's talk about track. If we're having to change where the starting line is because the students, um, whether it's a disability as in a physical disability or if it's cognitive or if it's just a, uh, deaf and hard of hearing where the student just uses a different mode of communication. You can imagine that if you have to change the competitive nature, whether shortening the distance on the track in a race or uh, adding time to the other athletes or shortening time and taking away from uh, the actual elements of the competition, those are modifications that take away from the competitive nature of the event. So that will help coaches when students sign up to try out to draw a line between accommodations and modifications. So the accommodations keep the integrity of the, the sport intact, where the modifications may change the competitive nature. And that's where we need to make sure that we're educating our extracurricular leaders so that we're not denying access to the events that students want to participate in. You know, I'll uh, 
throw throw something in that uh, you know uh, people may not you know recognize or realize, and and uh, you know obviously uh, taking into consideration confidentiality and and, and things like that, you don't want to. Uh, uh, have you wouldn't have a conversation about other athletes or about something that's confidential and within uh, earshot of, of a student that's hearing um, when you're working with uh, students that are deaf or hard of hearing that uh, that uh, we talked earlier Jennifer mentioned uh, you know the FM devices and making sure that mic is off whenever you're you're visiting remember that uh, uh, an interpreter is an extension of uh, of that individual uh, they're just there to interpret the conversations that are going on around that person and and you may inadvertently uh, share something that uh, was not intended uh, for the athlete that uh, you know that has an interpreter and it may get shared with them if it's thought to be relevant to, to them so uh, and, a, and a good example prime example of that just uh, not necessarily athletic training but several years ago we had a uh, student athlete that uh, that was deaf that was uh, here in the field house in the hallway and and um had his interpreter with him and some of the other uh, kids that uh, this was a freshman kid and, and uh, uh, students didn't really know him and, and a couple of the uh, other uh, athletes were talking about him and uh, so the interpreter uh, signed what they were talking about him saying about him to him and, and uh, the, they got into a little bit of a verbal altercation <laughs> and so uh, uh, but you know putting that into a perspective for us as, as healthcare providers uh, just remember that, that um, while it may not be intentional, I don't think that an interpreter would necessarily share information about another student that you're working with, you know, just because you happen to be in the room. But but also keep in mind that uh, that anything you say that it may get shared with that person. So you want to uh, keep confidential things confidential and and not assume that it wouldn't wouldn't be signed or interpreted uh, to that to that student. So. All right. So we just bought the book. Uh, sign me up for a happy home by Elise Tate, the wife of NFL Golden Tate. And so she wrote a book because she wanted to teach her newborns or her babies, whatever it is, you know, less than two year olds, how to use sign language. And so that's been pretty cool. I think there's like 15 signs that are really good for babies. And I just saw you do like again or more, which is, you know, they show bringing the hands together. Uh, and so it's really cool for me. And I thought about sending the book to Johnson's. You know, he doesn't know any sign language at all, <laughs> and he's expecting a baby. Uh, actually, this month or, or next, right? Right, John? Next yeah. month, yeah, at the end of next month. End of next month. I couldn't remember if it was March and April or April, May. So May. End yeah, so, May. so I'm already into April already, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I like that book. What, uh, what would you say are the, I don't know, five, ten signs that an athletic trainer needs to know? And then we'll go into some of the other resources that you really like for athletic trainers and healthcare providers. So for me, oh, if you're going to have me give five, I think it's it's going to be yes, no, which is perfect for this past year in Zoom calls because you won't have to unmute yourself, mute yourself again. You can say yes, no. So yes is this, no, thank you. Uh hurt is is the two index fingers together but you'll typically do it around the area so if it's shoulder knee you can do that um so i would add help to that one so uh you would face one hand face or palm up 
and your fist with your thumb pointing up right on top of it and then you lift your fist up with the palm facing up and um, what you would typically do when you sign help is it's uh, directional so if I want to help you I would push my hand upward towards you but if I want you to help me then I would do that same sign but pull it back towards myself to say I need you to help me so I think help would be a great one and then also um, name so name is where you take uh, your index finger and your middle finger and put them together on both hands and just tap them on top of each other and that's the sign for name and if you know your name and sign you can sign it out and uh, if you have a long name like mine it gets shortened to Jen quite often and it is a lot easier to sign that than uh, an eight letter word so uh, Josh did do you have any that you have found very helpful that you would add to that list you know uh, the only other ones you know water uh, you know, but, but that's, uh, that, that's the only other one that, uh, that I've added, but I'm, I'm like, you know, John, you know, yes and no, or, are, are uh, you know, key ones and, and hurt, you know, the, you know, uh, I use that quite a bit because a lot of times you can't figure out exactly, you know, where the injury is or what's hurting. You just know something's hurting. So, uh, uh being able to, um, ask that question, you know, is, is, uh, been very helpful. So. But, but those are the key ones that I use. Very, very simple, um, you know, my, my knowledge. And, and, and like anything else, you know, any, any other language, uh, you know, if you don't use it on a regular basis, you, you tend to uh, uh, lose part of it. And although it comes back pretty quickly, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, not always, you know, if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. So, um, you know, and, and uh, you go through, I go through, have gone through spells where I've gone several years without having an athlete that's deaf or hard of hearing. And then, and then I have another one. So I have to go back and, and uh, re-familiarize myself with some of that to be able to communicate a little more efficiently. And I would add that the body language and the facial expressions add so much to that. Uh, so if you do have an injured athlete and uh, you would recognize in, with any student, whether deaf and hard of hearing or not, if there's a limp or a stagger or holding a, a, a wrist or those types of things. And then also the facial expression of the grimace, if there's some pain and they're playing through it, you can see it on their face. Uh, but I can imagine the pain scale, uh, if you're using a one through 10 pain scale uh, and you touch a specific area that is hurting and you've triggered the nerves in that area, the face will tell you. So uh, some of the things that you would use with the with your hearing students, you can certainly apply to your deaf and hard of hearing students. For our list, I got help, which is palm and then your like your thumb moving upwards. Thanks, which is which from your, your hand away from your chin. And in the show notes, I'll include some of these, but it should be easy enough to Google these. Yes is your fist, like you're nodding your head yes. And then no was like you're pinching. Okay. Pain was the two fingers pointing together towards the area, like basically, like like if you were to draw arrows to highlight, hey, pay attention to this. That's that's essentially what it's doing there. Water is basically a W with and moving towards your mouth or you know that, that kind of thing. And then name is like if you're playing pencil break or something with your fingers and making you know trying to cross them there. Um, you know, I think one more is uh, Jennifer did it very, very early in the in the show was to show excitement or uh, congratulations for somebody. So make a big play. It's this rather than, you know, you can't clap. So it's that. 
Jazz so congratulations. Or, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> All right. Uh, at the beginning, Jennifer said that she was going to be working on learning Spanish and she was going to be listening to some Spanish stuff. So I, I can imagine podcasts wouldn't be great for learning sign. YouTube channels, you have to have like the YouTube premium stuff. Otherwise, it goes on mute. So if if I'm going to be passively learning sign or even active. So your favorite resources for, for learning more, what you got? Well, I'll start. And, um, you know, we have two really great resources uh, from my side and my family. Um, my fiance uh, did just complete and publish uh, the book through Barron's um, American Sign Language, a comprehensive guide to ASL one and two. Um, so I have the book right here, actually, right there. Um, so it's a very comprehensive book. Uh, it's great. Um, there's uh, video quizzes that go along with it too. So when you uh, purchase the book, you do have a, uh, a link or a, a code that goes into their website. You're able to access the video um, quizzes. So you actually get to interact with somebody a little bit um, and then quiz yourself how you're doing. Um, and then another resource is signingonline.com. Uh, it does provide CEUs, so you can use those in the category D, I believe, um, with the BOC. Um, we are trying to, as a, a company, uh, push through the BOC to accept it as um, CEs for athletic trainers. Uh, like I said, this is a, a language that is used. It's the the second most wor used world language in America. Um, so as healthcare providers, we need to be able to communicate with our athletes. Um, you know, so we're trying to, to push the BOC and ask them to use uh, this website um, and the lessons there are for CEs. Um, so if you're willing to, and you want to learn a new language, signingonline.com is a great resource for us. Well, and I can certainly add to that as well. Uh, I've actually used some of those resources, so I am excited to hear that those uh, are being communicated out. And then I've also used lifeprint.com, and it's actually what we used as a framework in our community sign language classes these past few years. Uh, when I was the director of the Regional Day School Program for the Deaf, it has lessons that you can move through and they build on each other. So uh, it's something that we used in, in group lessons, but if just for uh, leisure learning, that would be a great resource as well. But I'm going to have to rely a little bit more uh, on John's resources. I think I'm excited that I'm learning some more resources on this show as well. So that's great. And then if uh, there are listeners that are just interested in special education in general, then I would certainly push out uh, the SPED Talk podcast, and that's at SPED Talk 2020 on Twitter. And they're not live, they are pre recorded and then pushed out. So uh, the uh, uh, moderator of that, that podcast uh, has a wealth of knowledge in special education. So uh, in the sports arena, if you have questions about special education, that would be a great resource to, to reach out to. You know, one, one thing, and uh, I like the resources that uh, both John and Jennifer have, have mentioned, um, you know, one thing that I would add is, is uh, just like, um, you know, anything else, uh, you use other professionals as a resource, you know, use your, uh, your, your deaf athletes, your interpreters that work at your school, you know, use your, your human resources, your people uh, to help you as well, because, um, you know, that, that's kind of where, 
my uh, limited uh, abilities began was just, uh, you know, things that were taught to me by uh, deaf athletes that I worked with or by the interpreters that, that uh, were, were there to assist them. And, and so, uh, um, you know, if, if you're like me, uh, you know, I can, I can read and I can, uh, you know, watch videos and, and learn a little bit there, but actually working with somebody and signing with somebody uh, is where I picked up and, and retained a little bit more. So, uh, you know, uh, don't be afraid to ask them to, to help you. They're, they're more than happy to. And, uh, you know, and it, and it goes a long way toward develop, developing uh, those relationships with, uh, with the athletes that you work with. Um, you know, they um, really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to be able to share uh, that information and share their knowledge with you and, and help you to, to learn and grow. So uh, don't be afraid to use that as a resource as well. All right, so she mentioned SPED 2020 on Twitter, but if we want to get a hold of Jennifer, Josh, or John, all of us are on Twitter. So Jennifer on Twitter is Jen, which is J-E-N-N-N-M-O-N, Warren, on Twitter. So again, I'll have a link to that in the show notes, or you, again, as I always say, if you're following me on Twitter, there would be some conversation between me and Josh and John and Jennifer. And so you can just click on like, click on it that way and follow there. So if you're following us on social media that way, Josh, you didn't put anything in there for the best way to get hold of you. What is that? You're on mute. Yep. There we go. Unmute. Um, my uh, Twitter is just at J Woodall, W O O D A L L seven, nine. Uh, so that's my Twitter. And of course you can, uh, email me. Uh, it's just my full name, Josh dot Woodall W O O D A L L at Brian is a good email address. So. All right. So you can find Josh on Twitter or email John Seiko. Yes. <laughs> Twitter at J O H N C I E C K O. Uh, or email is J-C-I-E-C-K-O at Bloomfield, B-L-O-O-M-F-I-E-L-D dot O-R-G. Man, why didn't you sign that out while you were saying it? I did. You just didn't see my hands oh. are down here. So you got to put it up on your face so we can see those things. I know. See, you're learning. All right. Um, any other like deaf culture things that we may need to consider that we didn't go over? Any other last minute tips that you thought of? Like, oh, wait, I got to say this. Well, one thing I did notice was uh, just out of habit, I'm wearing solid colors that are dark. And if you notice interpreters, most of the time you'll see that they are wearing solid colors and it's to accentuate the hands as they're signing. So there's not a distraction right behind the hands. So if you are looking to learn sign language and uh, looking at a new career path or an additional one to become an interpreter, you might want to uh, dress in your solid colors so that you can accentuate your signs. Um, typically, I find that coaches and athletic trainers wear school gear, which is typically a solid color anyway. And so uh, that's just one additional tip I can add that uh, those solid colors add to the accentuation of the signs that you're signing to the students. So like your hand, I'm white, your hands are white. So I'm wondering if like a black interpreter normally wears like a light color to offset their black hands. I just, interesting, interesting thoughts. So so, and I also uh, don't wear a lot of jewelry on my hands if I know I'll be signing, just to take 
um, some of the distraction away from my signs because they are going to be a little slower anyway. So I need all the help I can get as I'm, I'm signing. All right. Lots of links, lots of resources. And then, John, did you get your package from Myotech with the eight-hour defense stuff? I did, yes. I've been using it daily. Uh, it's my. It's now my new ritual. I, I come in, sit down at my desk, I spray my hands, rub it on my nose, and, uh, you know, it, it gives me that sense of protection going into the rest of the day. Uh, and that the new hand sanitizer is, um, like Paul had talked about, it's it's a smoother uh, feel so like I don't feel like my hands are worn out from the constant use of hands uh, the alcohol hand sanitizer so I'm a big fan of it yeah I felt the same it didn't feel sticky which I hate that and it didn't smell because if if a hand sanitizer smells then there's no point like I just I won't use it so there's nothing worse than a fragrant hand sanitizer um like it's we have one at our school that's one of the public use ones and it smells like flowery and perfumey and it's a good smell but like i hate going home with that smell <laughs> it's, it's like the worst like for me i'm driving home and i'm like why do i smell like perfume like what what did i do and i'm like oh it's the hand sanitizer that was at the front of the school so i try to avoid those um, and use something that is better so i i like it i'm excited and i i guess posted on social media i use it at the volleyball tournament where there was like 500 teams or something like that you know so at least offer myself some protection from all those sick kids if you want to get more information this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash deaf athletes sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash deaf athletes and i'm i guess i'm like proud of myself that i use the correct term instead of hearing impaired just by accident just by ignorance so sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash deaf athletes for Jennifer Warren, Josh Woodall, John Seco, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast. That is a wrap. Thanks.